Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network over at noodle.mx and is sponsored by me and my company, D. Joseph Design, over at djosephdesign.com. Get a website design, presentation design, cover art for your podcast, and much more. Check out my portfolio at djosephdesign.com. Are You Just Watching is also brought to you in part by GoToMeeting. Are you just watching episode 18, Tron, the original Tron, that is. Welcome back to another episode. I'm Daniel Lewis, and this is the podcast where we share critical thinking for the entertained Christian. We have a special treat for you today. No, we are not talking about the new Tron yet. We are talking about the original Tron from 1982. Remember that old Tron with the old special effects and everything? This is a special episode that was recorded actually before Are You Just Watching was founded. This is actually quite a monumental episode because this is what started Are You Just Watching? But before I explain more about that, let me tell you about our sponsor, GoToMeeting. If you are like most America, then you're probably traveling for Christmas and New Year's. But this time of year, as it's near the end of the year, is obviously very busy because all of these meetings and things you need to do to close out the year and stuff that you have to do while you're away or have to get done while you're away. That's why you need a tool that will allow you to conduct business even when you're not face-to-face with your clients and coworkers and colleagues. That's why I recommend the tool for online meetings, GoToMeeting. You can collaborate in documents on real time, give engaging sales presentations, whatever you show on your computer. All of your meeting participants can see on their computer. It's super easy for them and really easy for you. You just quickly download it on your computer and then your attendees don't have to download anything. They just click a link and they instantly see what you want them to see. And it includes conferencing and voiceover internet protocol so people can talk during the meeting too. I've used GoToMeeting before and it is really great in how it works and super easy. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. That's a month of unlimited online meetings for free. For this special offer, you must visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free, put- <laughs> try it free button, and use the promo code PODCAST for a free 45-day trial. Not just a month, but 45 days. Thank you, Citrix, for your support. Now, Eve was not able to be here for this. Well, kind of. What you're going to learn in this episode is that a long, long time ago, there was a podcast called The Sci-Fi Show. That's Fi with a PH. And it was run by our friend Jason Rennie. His show was about science fiction and discovering and exploring the philosophy behind science fiction. Great show, really inspirational. I think it was Eve that discovered this podcast first and then mentioned it to me. Well, Eve got very involved in the forums. And so in the podcast that you're about to hear, it is a episode that we got to guest host for Jason Rennie. It was something that we got this idea of Hey, would you be interested in maybe a guest host where we provide the content and you just republish it for us in your podcast? He thought that was great, and so he published this for us. It was originally on the sci-fi show.com, but now it's sci-fi journal.com. And in fact, now Jason is doing a completely different podcast at ChristianMeetsWorld.com. So all of that leads into this podcast, which was recorded in fall of 2009. No, I'm sorry, fall of 2008. Are You Just Watching officially launched in February of 2009. This episode is what 
got us started after Eve and I recorded this episode together. I think it was Eve actually made the suggestion of, do you think this is something we should do more often of explore movies from a critical thinking kind of uh, more Christian philosophy basis? See, what Jason did was he would explore movies from all philosophical angles. And uh, although he was, um, he would come to it from a Christian worldview, he would discuss it from an all philosophical perspective. So exploring the different philosophies and helping us understand what different philosophies are, not necessarily taking critical thinking, but exploring the philosophies. That's why it was the sci-fi with phi with a ph there. So we recorded this episode for him and he posted it. And this episode being about Tron, we really enjoyed it and then started to pull together plans for launching our own podcast, doing very much the same thing that we did in this guest episode talking about Tron. And that was the start of Are You Just Watching in February of 2009. So it's really neat that here, almost two years later, we're releasing this episode. This was like our flagship episode, but it wasn't really an episode. So you'll hear in here that Eve goes by her forum name instead of her actual name, Eve Franklin. She goes by uh, Princess Eve, I think. I mentioned that I'm the ramen noodle and I'd also co-hosted an episode with Jason previously. Being that this was an early episode, you'll notice that our recording quality back then wasn't as good as it is now. And show notes for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 18. You know what's coming up? It's the new Tron. Tron Legacy. And believe me, we are going to be there. We're, we've got screening passes to go see it a few days before it comes out in theaters. So the weekend that Tron Legacy opens in theaters, you will hear our thoughts, our initial thoughts on it. And I promise you the first few minutes of that episode will be spoiler free. So you can listen to those first few minutes before you see the movie and you'll be fine. So now... Without further ado, I present to you our episode for the sci-fi show discussing the original 1982 Tron. You're listening to the sci-fi show. Sci-Fi Show 53. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Sorry the show's been so inconsistent for a while. I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but time will tell. So, today, my good friends Daniel and Princess Eve have recorded a show discussing the ideas found in Tron. It's quite a long one, but it's been on hiatus for a while, so I guess it can't hurt, can it? Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Show. I'm Daniel Lewis from TheRamenNoodle.com. And I'm Princess Eve, better known from the Sci-Fi Forums. Many of you may recognize my voice as Jason and I co-hosted a show a few months back about artificial intelligence, and it would be awesome if several of you were already subscribed to my own podcast at TheRamenNoodle.com. But I'm not here to talk about that. Today on the show... We're going to take a slightly different approach to the way that Jason normally does things in that Jason is great at taking a single philosophy and exploring that from either a single TV show or a single movie or maybe a couple different movies. This time we want to take one movie and explore the several different philosophies that are behind that movie. Then we will have to make a disclaimer that neither of us are big time philosophers and we may not get our terminology straight. Yes, or we may not even use the terminology at all. And also, I should say that the views expressed by Princess Eve and myself are not necessarily the views of either of us or of Jason Rennie, or this podcast, 
or anyone else in particular. Other than personally the person who said it. Correct. Unless we change our minds. <laughs> so, let's talk about this classic movie from the 1980s, Tron. And we can date ourselves here, or at least I can date myself by saying that I was 10 when this movie came out, and I actually remembered going to see it, so. And I wasn't even born yet. (laughs) I remember also growing up, Tron was one of my favorite movies, and I don't even really remember why it was my favorite, because there's not really that much to it that is cool. Maybe it was just the... uh, thing that it's he's in a computer yes and the the graphics in it were state-of-the-art they back then. well back then but even now if you think about it what they use to to create the computer look no one else has ever done or really successfully followed up with at least as far as i know let's first look at what the movie is actually about give a brief overview of it tron is a 1982 movie released by disney about a character that is transported into the virtual world and then seeks to both free himself from that virtual world and free the programs, the good programs that are in that world from the controlling power of what's called the Master Control Program or the MCP within that world. And there's a fun way that they do that. I also think it's funny to look at some of the technology that the average technology that is in the film because here everyone is typing on in a command line interface with the old green screens and it looks even a prequel to DOS mm-hmm. and it's all the green screens and the keyboards are the really noisy loud keyboards mm-hmm. that you hear as they're clicking yes and they have this entire building which is floor after floor after floor of mainframe computers that are all connected together so basically the building is one huge computer like refrigerator size yes. computers and that was just the floppy drive <laughs> one of the computers and I have to laugh that there's this spot in the beginning where we see this big freaking setup that's all with one purpose of shooting a laser at an orange. Mm-hmm. I yes. Just, you know, nowadays we think of something small, like in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, where it's just a single cool-looking laser. Mm-hmm. But here they've got this half the building almost, it looked like, is devoted to this laser system. And they have to go to the, the ladies' terminal, and they're, like, climbing up all these catwalks and circular little staircases and ladders. And it's like, this is all to get to her desk. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, you think getting to your desk from some long walk outside or something is hard. Imagine crawling through a playset, practically. <laughs> Technological playset. I even remember as a kid playing with Legos, I would often construct Legos to look like the big ships that had the two legs that stretched down on sides, and those legs would come into the center, and then it would smash on something. Those were called the recognizers in the movie. Yes, and they were actually based on the game that was... I guess they were wanting to actually come out with the game after the movie was supposedly going to be a big hit, and they were going to have the game that they show... Flynn playing with the, with those recognizers in the game as as an actual video game that they were going to release. I don't believe it ever came really? out though. Yes, I didn't realize that. Though that would make sense. Of course, mm-hmm. nowadays they yeah. do that all the time. But the the movie didn't turn out to be as big a hit. I mean, it's a cult classic now, but when it came out, it wasn't that big of a hit. And I think part of the reason was that the computer culture was still a mainframe computer geeky kind of thing and most homes didn't have computers most people didn't think about computers there was a, a scene in which one of the programmers that worked for Incom in the movie mentioned to Dillinger I don't even balance my checkbook on downtime I have an abacus at home for that and that really teased a giggle from me because I mean how many people even know what an abacus is nowadays um, I'm raising my hand I don't know what an abacus is <laughs> Oh, it's it's the the thing that you counted on prior to the invention of calculators. It was like like beads on a oh, uh, like on in a rack. Little House on the Prairie, <laughs> <laughs> which is not science fiction. Who would have ever guessed that Little House on the Prairie would be mentioned in 
the sci-fi show. Mm-hmm. The idea of being sucked into a computer was definitely a new thing when Tron came out, mainly because most of the audiences didn't know anything about computers. But we have a very famous movie that's come out, well, not recently, but within the last 10 years, is it, that Matrix came out? Mm-hmm. The whole idea there is is that man living inside a virtual world created by a computer, and it may have actually have stolen a little bit from the idea of Tron. I hated The Matrix, actually. I should probably go back and watch it again to see if I like it any better this time. But yeah, there are a lot of similarities between the two in that one, the Matrix characters could interact with this virtual world. They could come and go as they please in the virtual mm-hmm. world. In Tron, it's only two one separate world. Yes, and only one character goes between them. Right. And that leads perfectly into how they wanted to introduce the movie, but didn't actually introduce the movie in that way. Mm-hmm. If you get the 20th anniversary collector's edition of Tron, and perhaps one of the other editions also includes this, on the second disc... It includes three deleted scenes. One of those deleted scenes is an introductory prologue that they thought they might have used to introduce the movie, but didn't actually end up introducing it. But I think it's a good way to help fire off our discussion. This is the story of two worlds and the beings who inhabit them. One of these is our world, the one we can see and feel, the world of the users. It lies on our side of the video screen. The other, an electronic micro-civilization, lives and breathes just beyond our grasp. This is the world of the programs. Because we, the users, have created this new world, part of us lives there too. On the other side of the screen. So the movie starts off first in the virtual world. Mm -hmm. And at some point breaks to showing Flint working on his computer. And it says, meanwhile, in the real world. Mm -hmm. So trying to separate the two worlds. As opposed to the movie The Matrix, Tron disconnects these two worlds from each other. Whereas in The Matrix, the worlds are connected to each other. Mm -hmm. What happens in one world influences what happens in another world. Right. But they're separate in Tron. Mm -hmm. At least they give that impression for the duration of the movie. Well, in the end of the movie, they do also kind of merge the two worlds together because you see... Um, the real world fading into a city that looks very much like the city that exists inside the computer and and the lights. And so they make a very pointed effort at the very end of the movie to fade out with the two worlds merging into one. So it's like they start you off wanting you to think these are separate. And then they end wanting you to realize, oh, these are the same. The Mm -hmm. same thing happens. Which leads into wondering about, are they connecting the philosophies in the virtual world with the philosophies in the real world. Mm -hmm. They want you to draw that conclusion. The very prevalent philosophy in this is this whole thing about the users and the programs. You want to explain that a little bit? In the computer world, the programs have a myth about the users, the people who program them to exist for specific purposes, but it's a myth because they are living in a repressive society, which is discouraging them from believing in users or communicating with their users. And uh, we should take this opportunity to point out that although people that don't come from a religious background may initially think that this is some kind of Christianized philosophy, it really isn't. No, it isn't. In fact, it really deals more kind of with a, a more of a demigod or like maybe a Greek or Roman pantheon of gods. It's not really a Christian doctrine of any sort. And even the majority of popular religions today believe in basically a single deity, Mm -hmm. um, not a whole myriad of deities. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Tron, every program has its own creator right its own user and and they're different from each other it's not a single creator creating each program with a specific s- separate purpose it's every program having a separate creator that has a separate purpose so mm-hmm. it's it's a pantheon really but yet yeah, it is still a belief system because we see the characters within the movie even asking each other you believe in the users yeah sure If I don't have a user, then who wrote me? And we see two basic contradictions to this belief system within the movie is agnosticism 
and deism. Well, deism is obviously the belief in God, but it's a, a distant and personal God who is not involved in the day-to-day life and decisions of the followers of that God. And agnosticism are people who would believe in God if they were, I hope I'm getting this right, they would believe in God if enough evidence were presented to them. They just don't believe that there is enough evidence and that it's not something that's knowable. And so they they leave it as, as something outside what they could know. And so therefore they basically don't believe in God. Or in this case, the users. Or the users, yes, yes. But definitely the users are an acronym for God in this in this type of a world. Now, there is one program or a character within the movie, and that is Sark, which is the uh, using the same actor as played Dillinger in the movie, and Dillinger was the owner of the company, Incom. And I don't think he was the owner. The CEO? Yes. The yes, he was the top chi- dog. Yeah, he was the chief executive. That's right. So there's the there's senior, probably senior chief, chief executive. executive. Yes, yes. There's probably a board of directors somewhere that actually owns the company. So the program equivalent of him actually has some kind of fear of the users, it seems, because when the master control program tells him that a user has entered the world, Sark suddenly becomes fearful in yeah. some sense. What kind of program is he? It's not any kind of program, Sark. He's a user. A user? That's right. He pushed me in the real world. Somebody pushes me, I push back, so I brought him down here. What's the matter, Sark? You look nervous. Well, I... It's just... I don't know, a user, I mean... Users wrote us. And I think it's because he knows that users exist, and perhaps he feels a bit of guilt in knowing that he has already transferred his allegiance away from users to the master control program. He knows there are users, and he knows that he is being disobedient, really, to the purpose for which he was created. Now, there is the interesting aspect of the communication between the programs and the users as well. I have to laugh at some of the scenes in the movie where, like in the beginning, Flynn is trying to search for this missing file, and it goes back and forth between him typing on this old green screen command prompt trying to search for this file, and then you see inside where this search program is in this tank. The search program is called Clue, and mm-hmm. it's in this tank trying to look around, and it's driving between these canyons, and then there are these recognizer machines that are there to try and capture it and stop it. And he's actually communicating directly with Clue. Right. During the duration of mm-hmm, this that, that whole sequence. scene. Mm-hmm. Come on, come on. Where are you? There you are. Clue. Yes, sir. Clue, we don't have much time left to find that file. This is top priority. Yes, sir, I know, sir. This isn't just correcting my bank statement or phone bill problem again. This is a must. I understand, sir. Now, I wrote you. Yes, sir. I taught you everything I know about the system. Thank you, sir, but I'm not sure... No buts, Clue. That's for users. Now, you're the best program that's ever been written. You're dogged and relentless, remember? Let me add them. That's the spirit. Now, keep that tank rolling, and I'll try to cover you from this end. Go. Sometimes, you know, I feel like that's what happens when I try and find something on my computer, is that there's this little tank in the inside that's trying to go around and find it, and that there are these evil recognizers that are trying to prevent me from finding my files on my own computer. So maybe Tron isn't too far off from what really happens in the <laughs> virtual world. We see, though, that in the rest of the film, the tyranny that exists within the mainframe, Mm -hmm. that the programs can only communicate with their users at these input-output towers, or the I.O. towers. Mm -hmm. One of the programs at one point says that he has to get to that tower to communicate with his user to receive further instructions. And the towers are not in use either, because when they get there, the, the guardian of the tower makes a comment. They hate this tower. They'd close it down if they dared. They keep me around just in case one of them wants to deal with the other world once in a while. You get that impression that that tower is not only restricted, it's not used much anymore at all. Only when the bad guys want Want to talk to to the users. Which is interesting that here the bad guys, which are all red in Mm -hmm. the movie, are trying to suppress or completely get rid of this religious belief of the users. And yet they believe it themselves. 
Yeah. And, and it's they, not just a belief for them. They actually know. Yeah. And they're keeping these channels open so that they can communicate with the users. Mm -hmm. Some of the comments that come out in the film that convey the suppression a little bit more are like right at the very beginning of the movie, there's this one program we're introduced to that he says he's a compound interest program and he's being pushed into prison by some guards. Hey, look, you guys are going to make my user, Mr. Henderson, very angry. He's a full branch manager. Great. Another religious nut. <laughs> Which kind of gives you the feeling that the guards are probably as much in the dark as the other programs are. I mean, they're leaders and know that there are users, but the guards, the people who are working for the bad guys, don't necessarily have as much knowledge as their leaders do. Very good point. They, they believe the company line, you might say. One way in which the relationship between the users and programs is brought out that correlates with our real-world circumstances is that we see the programs asking kind of the same questions that humans tend to ask. Who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? What is my purpose in life? Mm -hmm. The user program interface is also referred to in the real world in kind of a, a very religious way. Dr. Gibbs, who's actually, I believe, the original founder of Incom, at least he's discussed in that aspect, he makes the comment when he's talking to Dillinger you know, you can remove men like Alan and me from the system, but we help create it. And our spirit remains in every program we design for this computer. Walter, it's getting late. I've got better things to do than to have religious discussions with you. At, at first, when I heard that, I, I was sitting here going, religious discussions? He didn't say anything religious. And, but then I realized, that, yeah, that the whole idea that a part of the creator exists in the creation kind of even refers back to even the creation account in the Bible where God says, let us make man after our own image, that there is a certain aspect of the image of the creator that is translated into the creation. Is that shared with other religions? Well, obviously the Greek pantheon. The the Greeks the believe that the gods existed in the same way, looked the same as people, but I think that was really the other way around in which that people created gods in their own image, not necessarily that the gods created their creations in their image. So that would be a view that we could say is kind of unique or is kind of exclusive to Christianity. Right. I think so. I mean, not that I have an all knowledge of all religions, but it seems to me that most of the other, other religions believe that gods were, are created in the image of man and not vice versa. We even see the user-program relationship with the master control program or MCP, mm -hmm. but his role has kind of flipped from when he was created. And we'll talk a little bit more about him as the show goes on, but let's first get into talking about some of the specific programs and certain things that we can pull from them. First, of course, is Tron. Yes. The namesake of the movie. You can't discuss it without talking about him. Tron was created by the real life character, Alan, for a very specific purpose. Yes, he was created to be a security program. Alan had realized that people were obviously using their access to the mainframe for unrelated business, and so he was going to create a program that would watchdog the system and prevent unscheduled use of the system and other such things like that. Then the issue arises that when the MCP finds out what Tron's use is for, he doesn't want to be held accountable by an external program. And Alan had specifically programmed Tron to be unanimous in what he watchdogged. So he would watchdog what the MCP was doing as well as anything else. Uh, what's the project you're working on? Well, it's called Tron. It's a security program itself, actually. It monitors all contacts between our system and other systems. Finds anything going on that's not scheduled, it shuts it down. I sent you a memo on it. Part of the master control program? No, no, it'll, it'll run independently. Can watchdog the MCP as well. And then after he leaves, the MCP discusses that in a very strong tone with Dillinger because he's upset about the fact that anything could watchdog him or mm -hmm. hold him accountable. Mr. Dillinger, I'm so very disappointed in you. I'm sorry. I can't afford to have an independent programmer monitoring me. Do you realize how many outside systems I've gone into? How many programs I've appropriated? Yeah, he feels like he's above that in some sense. 
Tron also conveys with him some kind of messianic being. There's a spot where we first get to meet Tron, and he's in the middle of one of the games or one of the battles within the world. Hey, who's that guy? That's Tron. He fights for the users. Which means that he has, in his own way, become a champion for the the user myth, as it is portrayed, and that the users don't really exist, but yet there's this one program who believes so strongly in them that he fights for them in in these gladiator-type games. And in that, there's a spot where even Tron himself says, My user has information that could could make this free system again. (laughs) No, really. And that is Tron's purpose for his existence. That was why he was created, and that's his goal of what to do, is to try and bring freedom and be a watchdog. And he never loses his purpose, even when he's cut off from communication from his user. It's, it's programmed so strongly into him that he never loses sight of that purpose. Although he certainly has the attitude of it, but what he doesn't end up ultimately doing is sacrificing himself toward that means. The person who instead sacrificed themselves to try and bring freedom to the system was our next person that we're going to talk about, who wasn't actually a program himself. No, Flynn was a user who was zapped by the big freaking laser Mm -hmm. into the program. Definitely an interesting view of scanning. (laughs) Flynn is the only transcendent character in the whole movie, that he existed in both the real world and then he's thrust unwillingly Mm -hmm. into this virtual world. And that's a very important point because people who try to turn him into a Christ figure, they miss the aspect of him being not only an unwilling participant in this whole struggle, but he's also not really aware of what he's there for. When he first gets there, he's very disoriented and, and he doesn't realize where he is and he's still trying to figure out this bad dream and wake up from it. And I would even venture to say that that is contrary to the way that most religions would portray a messianic figure, Mm -hmm. because they either would portray him as someone who was chosen, Mm -hmm. or someone who put it upon himself to save others, whereas... Flynn was not chosen. He was actually he was, going for very... I mean, well, he didn't go willingly, but his his whole reason for being at the company at Incom was a selfish reason. Yeah, really. he, he was bitter for Dillinger taking the credit for some games that he had written. And mm-hmm. so he's seeking to get revenge. He's actually seeking to get proof that he right. wrote them. So Flynn gets thrusted into this unwillingly. But then near the end, he does sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. But it's not his own sacrifice that saves the system. His sacrifice merely provides Tron with the opportunity mm-hmm. to defeat the master control program. Where's Flint? It was incredible. He threw himself into the beam and distracted the MCP just long enough for you to get the disc in. He saved us. He really did it. And there was a kind of a cool little David and Goliath scene there at the end. <laughs> I always thought, you know, whenever any movie makes a character suddenly giant size, I always think it's absolutely stupid. <laughs> Tron, I always thought, even from a kid, I thought that was the most stupid part of Tron, mm-hmm. seeing Sark become a giant like that. Right. Even the newer movie, Pirates of the Caribbean, 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 <laughs> say for both audiences, even that movie where Calypso becomes this you know giant woman, I thought, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> Well, that's off the point. Sorry for taking us off the point. Yes. Oh, that was my fault. So I'm sorry. (laughs) Another tiny character, both in size and also just its appearance in the film, is Bit. Oh, yes. Bit. Yes. No. No, 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 no. You like my Bit impression? (laughs) Yes, that's very good. (laughs) Hold it right there. Yes. What do you mean, yes? Yes. Is that all you can say? Oh, anything else? Positive and negative, huh? You're a bit. I have to give a connection here to another TV show that really didn't last very long, and I don't 
recommend watching if you don't like the sight of blood. Threshold contained this alien information ship that resembled bit in some kind of way and it's this transforming shape and it changes shapes as it does different things i just thought it was an interesting correlation and maybe not even intentional just interesting side mention there for a canceled science fiction show that i'm glad it was canceled threshold (laughs) was stupid do you think bit has some kind of a spiritual aspect in some way yeah it would seem like it because bit was like this guide to the programs we saw him helping both clue clue right and right, Flynn. At the beginning of the movie and then later flynn so bit was helping a program and flynn who was a user making decisions because they would ask him do you think i can um, merge with this data stream and bit would say yes and then when flynn was trying to figure out how to fly the recognizer bit was informing him what he could and couldn't do by answering yes or no to uh, Flynn's shouted in desperate an- questions at the time. Yeah, it's almost like Bit is this sort of spirit guide. Well, where's your program? Isn't he going to miss you? I'm your program. Another mouth to feed. We see that kind of belief in many different philosophies out there. When I say spirit guide, probably the first thing that comes to mind is like some sort of American Mm -hmm. Indian belief. It definitely, once again, diverges from any kind of a Christian concept because it doesn't come anywhere close to what the Holy Spirit represents for a Christian. Right. In Christianity, the Holy Spirit is a personal being that lives within inside the Christian Mm -hmm. and does more than just say yes or no. (laughs) It's not like this little eight ball that you just shake it and you get a single answer mm-hmm. but within christianity the holy spirit leads you and helps you in mm-hmm. ways within religions like american indians or other types of mysticism these spirit beings are guides and they're not necessarily perfect either right and we don't really see bit developed as a, a, a character <laughs> yeah he really isn't a character and oh. he only appears in two places he's right. He's only there at the beginning with Clue, and then Clue tells him to run away, and then he reappears rather mysteriously when Flynn is trying to fly the recognizer. We don't exactly know where he comes from. He just kind of pops up there. And then he gets locked inside the recognizer by the force field. Well, we obviously can't miss a discussion of Ram. He, he was the character that represents, I think, the strongest aspect of a skeptic in that he was the one that kept asking some very skeptical questions about the user myth. It's funny that in the beginning of the film is when we first meet Ram. From his just personality, it's mm-hmm. obvious that he's been stuck in this prison for a while. Mm-hmm. But the way he says it... Hey, uh, what's been going on in the other sectors? You know, I've been stuck here for 200 microcycles. As if that's a very long time mm-hmm. in computing. And it is. Yeah. Um, today, that's an ultra long time in mm-hmm. computing because now we're talking about nanoseconds and less than that. His character totally has that personality of he's been broken or being broken by the oppression and by the kind of the war despair tactics that are mm-hmm. being used and pushed upon the prisoners. I don't even think that he realizes how much he's he's lost his faith, because I think it, it really is a matter of losing his faith. It's like, you don't really believe in users, do you? It, it's kind of that, oh, I haven't talked to a user, so I don't believe in one, and I don't understand these people who do. It, it's just kind of a total take a step back and not believe. Yeah, about three minutes into the movie, when we meet that compound interest program that is pushed into prison and called a religious nut... That's when we meet Ram, and Ram asks, You believe in the users? Yeah, sure. If I don't have a user, then who wrote me? That's what you're doing here. Master control program's been snapping up all us programs who believe. So we see right away that Ram is questioning things, because mm-hmm. he's, he's been broken. And later on, we hear Ram even doubting that the users really exist. Really think the users are still there? Yeah, I think there he's really expressing more of a of an agnosticism, of not really thinking that users are knowable. It's not something that that he can really know. Because he's never seen a user, he's never... Communicated with one. Personally communicated, yeah, or maybe it's been too long since he's communicated with one. The other main character, besides Tron, is the Master Control Program. 
Oh, good old MCP. I think it's funny when we get to see the MCP, because in the virtual world, he's this big, scary face. But in the real world, it looks like he's masquerading around in Dillinger's office as an early version of the Microsoft Surface. And if you don't know about the Microsoft Surface, then I recommend that you search YouTube for the Microsoft Surface parody video from SarcasticGamer.com. The MCP is interesting because we see a lot of parallels between the MCP and Tron and how a lot of more modern movies portray technology as achieving some kind of consciousness. Like you think of the Star Trek, the first movie. The motion picture, yeah. Yeah, where the Voyager spacecraft is sent out and after hundreds of years it acquires all of this knowledge, eventually becomes conscious and is comes back, Yeah, it comes back seeking its creator. We also see Terminator, mm-hmm. where Skynet goes online, and then a short time later, it becomes self-aware, and mm-hmm. then seeks to take over the world, and also the Matrix, where the machines try to take or over the world. Or even iRobot. That's another one that has yes. discussed that. They realized the only way to protect humanity was to control humanity. Mm-hmm. And Jason and I have already talked a little bit about artificial intelligence and or thinking machines and the direction that they could go. The master control program is certainly a thinking machine. Mm-hmm. He was created. And there's a spot where Dillinger says, Now, wait a minute. I wrote you. I've gotten 2,415 times smarter since then. There was a spot later in the movie where... BMCP, though, claims that it was not written by any one user. The user even wrote you! No one user wrote me. I'm worth millions of their man years. Kind of trying to take a step out of saying that he's accountable to any deity or user. Mm-hmm. Instead saying that he is better. And he makes that claim himself several times, that he is so many times smarter than a human. Yeah, and that he's better able to handle what he does than a human would ever be. In in that way, he projects himself as being greater than a a creator, period. And within the film, it's interesting that he tries to force atheism on everyone within the program, saying that the users don't exist because he has Sark, his commander, tell everyone that the belief in the users is a superstition. Those of you who renounce this superstitious and hysterical belief will be eligible to join the warrior of the MCP. But yet he himself communicates directly and regularly with his user, Dillinger. So it's more like he himself is anti-religious, that Mm -hmm. he doesn't want any religion at all. Well, he had a phrase that he actually said to some captured programs. All programs have a desire to be useful. But in moments, you will no longer seek communication with each other or your superfluous users. You will each be part of me, and together, we will be complete. So it's like the MCP isn't wanting to set himself up as a god because he's not seeking to be worshipped, but he is seeking power and Mm -hmm. knowledge and he can't share power so if there's users then he has to share that power with the users and so in order to have that power he must shut down the belief or the following of users in order to gain that power and there's a dialogue between mcp and dillinger it's my fault i programmed you to want too much i was planning to hit the pentagon next week the pentagon it shouldn't be any harder than any other big company what do you want with the pentagon the same thing I want with the Kremlin. I'm bored with corporations. With the information I can access, I can run things 900 to 1,200 times better than any human. It is funny that maybe two or three times it's expressed that the MCP was originally a chess program. Remember the time you used to spend playing chess together? When he's talking to Flynn right before he digitizes him into the system. You got to think that that's maybe where it got this desire for power, this plan to try and eliminate its enemies is from being a chess program where the purpose is to defeat your opponent. I think it's even the the AI work that has been done has been started out mainly as, as chess opponents. I think that that has been a case that they've been trying to build thinking computers that are able to beat the best of the chess players in the world. 
So that makes sense that he would start out that way. And so somewhere along the way, the MCP attained some form of consciousness and is no longer being directly controlled by the users, but is actually trying to control the users himself. He's definitely got Dillinger at his beck and call. At the beginning of the movie, he makes the statement down inside the computer world, get me Dillinger. And then you see Dillinger coming in in his helicopter and landing and coming in, and MCP tells him, thank you for coming back early. So Dillinger is definitely at MCP's back and call. In this case, he was worried about Flynn getting in with clues. Now, you had caught an interesting dialogue between Tron and Flynn. It caught me because it's something that even as Christians, we talk about all the time about there being a plan for everything that happens, even the good things and the bad things. It's time I'd level with you. I'm what you guys call a user. But if you are a user, and everything you've done has been according to a plan, right? <laughs> <laughs> you wish. But you guys know what it's like. You just keep doing what it looks like you're supposed to be doing, no matter how crazy it seems. And that's the way it is for programs, yes. I hate to disappoint you, pal, but most of the time that's the way it is for users, too. Flynn is coming across more as a demigod in that he's not in any more control over his life, and he's not planning anything. He's just kind of doing things as they come. There were several other smaller philosophies brought out, such as what happens at death. Within the virtual world, death was considered de-resolution or de-resing. It's a question that, as, that most religions have to deal with as to what, what is an afterlife, what comes after death. And many religions either say you're reborn or you go to an eternal existence in, a, in either a eternal punishment or eternal reward. But in this world, there really is nothing. I mean, they de-res and they never comment or even suggest anything that happens after a program is de-resed. Which is consistent with what non-religious people mm -hmm. believe in, is that when you die, that's, that's it. it. There's nothing else beyond it. You're just completely gone. Of course, them being programs, if the user was smart enough to keep a backup, they could bring them back to life again. Ooh. Yeah, there's an interesting concept. But that was never brought out, actually, in the movie No, itself. it was not. Nowadays world, we, of course, backups and all of that are much more prevalent of a concept. Well, they also kind of intuit in the movie that data is never completely destroyed because the master control program is unable to actually delete the information that Flynn wrote those original games. You're still looking for that old file. Can't you just appropriate it? I have. I put it in my memory, which he hasn't located. But he might find it. I'm afraid so. I spotted him this time and kept him out, but he's getting trickier all the time. So that makes you, in a way, think that data is in its, in its own aspect, is in some way eternal, that you can't completely destroy it. It may be pulling a lot out of the movie that wasn't there, but it definitely could be seen as that way. Now, there is this really weird quote that was said by The Guardian. Dumont. Yeah, Dumont of uh, one of the input-output towers, just before Tron entered to try and communicate with his user, Alan One, the character, or the guardian, Dumont, says this interesting thing, and while he's saying it, Tron actually bows slightly. He calls me. May I pass? All that is visible must grow beyond itself and extend into the realm of the invisible. You may pass, my friend. What in the world does that mean? I have no idea. It was like an opening to the tower so that he could go and communicate. It was like a line that is said every time a program goes and, and to this communication. So maybe in a way it's talking about transcendentalism, where that which is visible and that which is invisible and a communing between the worlds. So in this quote, he's saying something visible grow beyond itself to invisible. You could maybe mm -hmm. understand it the other way around, where if it's invisible, growing beyond itself to become visible. Unless you think of the invisibility as being a higher state of being. Right, like enlightenment. And usually enlightenment is something that you consider when you approach perfection, or in this case, when you're communing with your creator, that would be considered something that you are obtaining as enlightenment. Yeah, like a, a kind of ascension to a higher existence, in a sense. 
which for a virtual world of programs, what is that higher existence to them that they consider invisible? Perhaps that is the user, since they never see the users themselves. Mm -hmm. They may hear their voice, but they never see them. Right. So they believe perhaps that becoming invisible or to achieve that is like becoming invisible. It's stepping out or transcending, ascending out of their visible world into that world of the users. It's an interesting line. It'd make an interesting bumper sticker. <laughs> Boy, it'd get people thinking, wouldn't it? They'd stop behind you. What does that mean? Perhaps needs a little context. The very last thing that, that I think is worth mentioning in regards to Tron is perhaps stepping out of the religious analogy and working towards more of what the movie may have been saying about the world as it existed at the time the movie came out. As we know, in the, in the 1980s, the Cold War was still going on. The USSR was still a world power. And we had Reagan as president. And we were, we were the good capitalists fighting against an evil socialist government. I think there are a lot of things in the movie Tron that are saying a lot about government at that time. One of the um, phrases that Sark says to the programs who are, have been stolen and are going to be forced to play the games. Those of you who continue to profess a belief in the users will receive the standard, substandard training which will result in your eventual elimination. <laughs> if anybody knows anything about socialism, that's pretty much the way that the standard is substandard. So that was kind of, a, I think, a dig at socialism. They also are given at that time an ID disc. You will each receive an identity disc. Everything you do or learn will be imprinted on this disc. If you lose your disc or fail to follow commands, you will be subject immediate de-resolution. Which is, I think, analogous of papers that the people in the, in the communist countries have to have on them at all times to allow them to travel or do anything to be able to present at any time. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. It definitely represents something that isn't a free system. It would have been a whole lot more fun, though, during the communism if the papers were really frisbees. They were in the movie <laughs> Tron. Yes, definitely. I did also see there's a section where Yori, which is the love interest of Tron in the computer world, and is also the program of a, a woman in the real world who is the love interest of Alan, so it, they're kind of parallel there. Tron comes to her and she's at work in, I think, like a, a simulation program that is being run. And she's being asked by one of the guards to answer a question, and she just comes out with this just very blah voice. What's the progress on the simulation? 3056. 99 are correct. Limited 4 and 8 are missing. And then she walks towards a door, and Tron reaches out and grabs her and pulls her around into a secluded area, and she looks at him, and she just repeats the data over and over again. And he kind of has to shake her and make her look at him, you know, like, wake up. Yori. 3056. 99 are correct. Limited 4 and 8 are missing. Oh, I really got the sense there that people that were working in the system were brainwashed drones in some way, shape, or form. Mm. That even the, the people that were being used by the master control program had become drones and brainwashed into completely not thinking about themselves or about anything outside of their duty. Perhaps because when the master control program assimilated their knowledge to mm -hmm. make itself more powerful maybe it was actually cutting and pasting it from their memory that just completely removing it from them mm -hmm. to leave just these drones mm -hmm. because he had taken what they had. And once again, I think that's a commentary on a, on a socialist form of life. There is another statement in there that made me think of government in some way, and that was the guardian of the I.O. Tower. He made a comment, I believe, to Yori. Why, I could be derezzed just for letting you in here. They hate this tower. They'd close it down if they dared. They keep me around just in case one of them wants to deal with the other world once in a while. And then there was another statement after they take the Guardian captive. Had enough? What do you want? I'm busy. Busy dying, you worn-out excuse for an old program. Yes, I'm old. 
And it made me think of the practice of euthanasia in which you get rid of those who no longer serve a purpose. Unfortunately, that is a system that the socialists firmly believe in. It's also a system of Nazism. It's sadly something that we have to protect ourselves from all the time, that desire to get rid of those who are old and no longer have a use. Or even like the MCP tries to gather all of those religious fanatics, as they're called in the movie, to the MCP himself in this virtual world. And he tries to acquire all of their knowledge and information Mm -hmm. from them. Yeah, and he becomes the government that controls and restricts. So in the way, the MCP is the ultimate authority in everything. He, He restricts where you can go. He restricts what you can talk about. He restricts where you can even communicate. I mean, all the IO towers are are shut down by him. So it's a very repressive society. And I think that in, in creating a free system, which is what Tron refers to, that his user wants him to create a free system, I think the movie is then bringing into light something like capitalism, where people are free to move about and do as they please and follow their purposes as they see fit in their own belief systems. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation about Tron. And if you haven't seen the movie, or if it's been a while since you've watched it, go out there and get it from your local video rental or from the public library. Chances are you won't be able to buy it because it is a Disney movie. It's probably stuck in a vault somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just wondering, will they release a remake of it on Blu-ray? Well, you know, I've heard rumors, I've seen rumors online that there is a sequel coming out in 2010. Actually, a teaser trailer for Tron 2 was shown at the recent Comic-Con, and it will probably be available on the internet by the release of this podcast. We don't know anything more about it than that. It's listed on the Internet Movie Database, but there's really nothing listed about it. So in 2010, you can expect a sequel to this podcast as we explore the <laughs> philosophies behind whatever that movie, movie is it's called. called yes. and, uh, <laughs> however good or bad the production of it is. It'd be great if you could leave some comments in the forum or on the website or email them to the sci-fi show at gmail.com. Eve, unfortunately, you're not really anywhere on the internet that we can say, go here, go there, anything like that. No, 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 I might show my face in the forum again. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been in there, too. I every now and then just kind of go to see what's being discussed, some of the feedback on some of the different episodes, but I haven't really had the time to participate in the forum much. Yes, the discussions can get lengthy. (laughs) Yeah, if you enjoy hearing my voice, then you can go to theramanoodle.com, T-H-E-R-A-M-E, a a couple of N's, a couple of O's, D-L-E, and a dot com. And that's where I have my podcasted seasoning packets of comedy from the life of a bachelor. And you can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash theramanoodle, spelled the exact same way. And I have to put a plug in. It's a really entertaining podcast. Well, thank you. Let us know what you thought of the show. Share some of your own thoughts about some of the things discussed here or other things that you liked or didn't like or caught from the movie Tron. And we look forward to hearing from you. For Jason Rennie and Princess Eve and for myself, Daniel Lewis, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and all of its extras there with it. It's really neat to go back and listen to our first episode before we were making episodes and just seeing so much history there and seeing what launched Are You Just Watching into what it is today. And it's it's very uh, nostalgic. Nostalgic. Now, like we mentioned, or in the beginning is that the show notes for this episode are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 18. Be sure that you check out those show notes and you can see some of the scriptures that we mentioned and some of our thoughts shared in there. As well, we suggest that you leave a comment on what you think about the original Tron and what you think about the upcoming Tron Legacy, which will be totally awesome 
Our next episode in the feed will be our initial reactions on Tron Legacy. We're going to see it in the theaters and we will have that episode out on the opening weekend. So watch for that. But we want to hear your feedback for this episode and for Tron Legacy when it comes out. You can send that to, well, or comment on the show notes at areyoujustwatching.com slash 18 or send that to feedback at noodle.mx or call 859-353-4332 and let us know your thoughts there. Remember that you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash the ramen noodle. Eve is at twitter.com slash Eve Franklin. And you can get the show notes for this episode and a whole lot more at areyoujustwatching.com. For E. Franklin, I'm Daniel Lewis. Thank you very much for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching? is produced and sponsored by D. Joseph Design at djosephdesign.com. The opening vocal talent is thanks to Mariah. Our theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis from their exciting Vacation Bible School curriculum, Operation Space, which you can find at AnswersVBS.com. Find more great, clean podcasts like this one at CleanCasts.com.